The best way to predict the future is to invent it. Stephen Ambrose brings you up to speed on what the future holds as he explores the latest technology as it impacts our lives. Well, good morning and welcome to Tech Talk right here on Kai FM. And as usual, it's been, well, interestingly, this has been a busy week. It's going to be a bit of a bit of an Apple show today because the Apple Worldwide Development Conference, otherwise known as WWDC, was held this week virtually again online. I think the day of the huge physical conferences is certainly for this type of thing have moved on. And um, a whole lot of announcement announcements were made. And we'll talk lots about that during the Tech Talk Cafe segment and during the hardware segment because there is just so much. It was a two and a half hour, close to two and a half hour presentation of all the latest and greatest and all the stuff that we can expect to come from Apple over the next couple of months, as well as some nice new hardware that was announced at the conference, available next month, July, pretty much globally. So stay tuned for that. I think there's going to be a lot of lot of interesting tidbits and facts and changes. I must tell you, I'm pretty impressed with what they've done, the scope of many changes. Obviously, being Apple, they hype the hell out of it, excuse the word, but they really make it sound amazing. But for the most part, as technology leaders, Apple certainly do bring a lot of innovation and a lot of really interesting technology to the table, which often gets used by others. And they liberally borrow from what people, my Android friends will tell me, nonsense, Apple keeps stealing Android things. But technology has converged. And for the most part, Android, Apple, it's no longer a conversation, it's personal preference. But Apple do do the ecosystem pretty much better than anyone else. Now, moving on to the news of the week, again, quite a crazy week for many, many of us. One of the major announcements, which has pretty big implications worldwide, sorry, got, got caught on that word, was an announcement in Europe that by 2024, all companies and this affects Apple, interestingly, quite considerably, have to use the USB-C connector for phones, tablets, e-readers, digital cameras, and any new gadgets and gizmos sold from 2024 in the European Union has to standardize on one charger cable or one charger connector, which is USB-C. Now, USB-C has been taking over, for the most part, across all the gadgets that I have. A couple of notable standouts have been Apple, which use the Lightning Connector. Um, and Apple have always said that the Lightning Connector gives them certain advantages. However, on their tablets and on their PCs, though, bit of a change coming there, the MagSafe is back, so USB-C is still there, but you've got other options. But essentially, for all their tablets and their laptops, you can now use USB-C charging cables. Um, but their phones have all remained with a lightning connector for lots of reasons which they give, notably to do with speed and innovation and all sorts of things. I think mostly for backward compatibility to tons and tons of gadgets, gizmos and bits and pieces that people have made and bought and invested in. So many of us have a ton of accessories for Apple gear that use that connector that it's quite a big deal to switch completely away from it. And we've got chargers, and we've got cables, and what's more, most of us don't even get on the new iPhone 
models, you don't even get a charger in the box. They assume you've got a couple lying around with a couple of cables and there's a big industry in cables. So all these people have to comply the end of September, October, thereabouts of 2024. And it's still got to be signed by the European Parliament, but I think it's a bit of a slam dunk. And it does make a lot of sense. There's one separate um, cable. It's a USB-C cable and it'll make a lot of difference for everybody just to have one cable you can plug in anywhere, no more running around looking for the right cable or the right connector or whatever it is. So it's coming, no question. And I do believe that um, Apple are testing iPhone models that replace the current lightning charging port with a more sort of commonly used USB-C connector. And um, hopefully it'll cut some of this cable madness, though there is a little bit of a wrinkle in that. Not all USB-C cables are great for charging. So be aware that USB-C doesn't mean that everything is USB-C. So moving on uh, to even more interesting news. Finally, it seems that we are starting to see a little bit of an end. I mean, this is not um, not the end of load shedding, and it's really not a big tech thing. But having a gadget, having to charge your gadget, and having your gadgets go flat because your power's off is certainly a serious tech problem that we all have all the time. But the good news is that finally, a whole chunk of 16 private power projects have been approved and should be up and running sometime in the next year. And what is interesting from a technology point of view is that a good proportion of them are solar or green energy, wind or solar. So that is a huge step forward in the right direction as far as I'm concerned. Many of these are connected some of the one well, of many quite a few will be connected to the grid and um, most of them are are, are going to start delivering power to either municipalities or companies directly and i think that's a huge huge step forward for south africa i think we're going to see more and more of these and what that will do is drive the growth of the technology both battery solar wind all these alternative technologies that will be running across the country Hopefully, we can even install a lot of them at reasonable cost in our homes and suburbs, because depending on these massive, you know, gigawatt factories of coal, coal burning power stations or even nuclear for that matter, seems to be something that is fading across the world. And with this latest uh, energy crisis that we have due to the Russian Ukrainian issue, a lot of countries are pushing really hard to grow the to grow the scale and the scope of all the green energy. So hopefully they get even cheaper because they are definitely being used across the globe in increasing amounts so that the cost of solar will certainly start coming down as countries and companies ramp up to produce all the various bits and pieces. Wind in Europe is huge. There are a lot of wind uh, turbines across the country, countries in the various places. And that, I believe, will also come to South Africa in quite a big way. A lot of investment. Solar seems to be a lot simpler and a lot easier. And certainly we do have enough sun. So looking forward to hopefully all of these guys going off grid, taking a little bit of uh, stress away from our friends at ESCOM. And hopefully the power stays on a little bit more. But it's a great, it's a great step forward. And let's see how that all pans out in the next couple of months. The other good thing, and I've been watching a lot, I don't know if any of you guys have signed up. But Disney Plus has landed in South Africa. You just go to DisneyPlus.co.za 
and you can pick it up. There's a lot of new content, a lot of great programs. They've got all the Star Wars and other stuff coming out there. So go and check it out. It's it's really a lot of interesting content. It's not terribly expensive. And the streaming wars have definitely brought a lot more product and content to the market. So get out there and have a good look because I believe that we're going to see more streaming. And um, there certainly seems to be a lot of, uh, I wouldn't say challenges around the satellite thing, but certainly the the range and the quality and the sheer content available between the various platforms that we have now in South Africa. We've got Disney Plus, we've got Netflix, we've got Amazon Prime or Amazon Live. So between of those three, I think you've got a huge amount. Obviously, there is the other programs and other platforms that come through the whole DSTV and other networks. But for the most part, international content of really high quality across those three platforms makes a huge difference. And I think it certainly allows all of us to watch more than we could actually watch. And with these cold winter nights, it makes a lot of sense to stay at home and um, stream. It certainly costs a lot of money to go anyway these days with the price of petrol. So it makes a lot, a lot of sense to stay at home and stream your usual streaming stuff and uh, watch the various products. But obviously, Disney Plus has a lot of content from the old Disney catalog. It's got all the um, nature programs, as well as some of the pr- the brand new stuff that is only available um, on there. And it's really well worth it. And as I said, the cost is very reasonable. If you sign up for a year, you get a little bit of a discount. So I would go and have a look, have a look at Disney Plus and see what you can do. And before we go um, to a quick break with our sponsors, and then we come back with Tech Talk Cafe and we talk all things Apple. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back and welcome to Tech Talk Cafe. I will be getting a couple of cool guests coming up in the next couple of episodes. But for now, the big news of the week was the Apple Worldwide Development Conference or WWDC 2022. And I'll just talk about the new hardware. They announced new MacBooks, MacBook Airs, MacBook Pros. And the new M2 chip, which is their own processor, which they developed independently of everyone else and are now using in pretty much all their computing products from tablets all the way through to their their main sort of industrial scale products for now. But we'll talk about the hardware a little bit later, straight after this. But I think more importantly, the whole point of the developer conference is to introduce the public and more importantly, is to introduce their developers to the latest work they're doing around their software, which is core to the experience. Now, Apple has a distinct advantage over many of the other manufacturers um, of smart devices and product out in the market. We definitely have a situation where, quite honestly, Apple control the entire stack from the hardware to the processor now pretty much designed by themselves all the way through to the software and the services that run, they control the app store. So the entire ecosystem play from Apple with regard to what they do, how they run things, where they go is under their own control. And this has allowed a coherent, seamless uh, product set across software, hardware, laptops, tablets, smartphones, 
absolutely everything that they do, including their Apple TV entertainment device and pretty much anything else that they've launched. It all works together. It's very simple to to integrate, very simple to use. And they've taken the user experience all the way to the next level. Conversely, when you're looking at other ecosystems, the major one being the Android ecosystem, Android is built and developed by Google and by the Google companies around Google. And essentially, it is, for the most part, free, unless you want all the additional Google services for which you pay. And they work very closely with the Samsungs and many of the others in the world to produce products that are as seamless as they possibly can be. But if you look at Samsung, I mean, one of the largest in the world, they make exceptional hardware. They make all the parts that make phones work. They make the processors. At one point, they were making the processors for for Apple themselves. So they do make their own processors, and they do make all the parts that make up the phone. But the software comes from a third party, and they work extremely closely with the third party in order to, to make sure that everything works as seamlessly as possible. But it does give them a bit of a disadvantage with regard to what Apple are doing from the ground up all the way through with a great integration between hardware, software, services, and everything else. That being said, Apple have finally announced the iOS 16 operating system, which will arrive as usual in September, just before or with the launch of the new iPhone 14, (coughs) which is quite a big deal. Hopefully there's rumors that the notch is gone and a little hole Instead, a little pinhole type setup will come to the screen or the Android guys will say, well, we've been having that for years, which is true, which is great. Whatever the case may be, there seems to be some significant hardware changes coming. But before we get to that, there was a really good look at the new operating system. And it seems that, again, (laughs) I was reminded of this by a friend of mine who's a big Android fan. The lock screen is now getting much more customizable. And you can have active widgets on the lock screen, which will allow you to see calendar, workout apps, photos, you name it. And they're tying a lot of other stuff to the lock screen. So the lock screen won't simply be as it is right now, a pretty something with maybe an always on time. There will be a lot of information, a lot like what has been available for Android for a while. But having looked through the... um, material they showed us I haven't downloaded the beta of the of the operating system yet I tend to wait even though I'm a crazy guy who likes all the latest software I tend to wait for the second beta the public beta before I get stuck in just in case there are any major bugs because I use the phone pretty much as my my daily driver so we'll have a lot of a lot of um, you know I'll come back to you guys and tell you what I think once I've actually had time to really play but it looks pretty amazing So there's been a lot of changes around the lock screen. They seem to have changed the look and feel a lot. So you've got a lot more widgets that are active, available. You can see information a lot quicker. And I think that's really, really great. They've done some changes to messages. Not so huge in South Africa. It's pretty much a de facto standard in areas where WhatsApp and that are not the main connecting app that we use to talk and and, and text. But they seem to have cleaned that up a lot They've also updated its home app. So if you've got a smart home, if you've got all the Apple TVs and other devices in your home, they definitely um, have upgraded that app. It looks a lot slicker. And they are absolutely working 
to standardize this and make your iPhone the hub of your smart home. And they're working with a standard called Matter. And Matter is a, a smart home standard that's been subscribed to by most of the players in the smart home space. And that means that devices from different brands across different product sets, and from security to surveillance to lighting to closing your curtains, all work seamlessly with your home device. A lot of the other apps, Apple News, Apple Wallet, CarPlay, is a huge update to CarPlay and the whole CarPlay ecosystem, which is pretty significant. In fact, the point with CarPlay, which you simply used to be an ability to plug your, your phone in and see a whole lot of curated and specially configured apps that work very well on a car, small car screen and, and in within the car context, um, came up and it was you could navigate through it. There were a lot of really nice advantages to Apple CarPlay. But now what they're doing is they're expanding that across the entire screen in the entire car. So, for example, they take over your 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 main screen, the screen with your rev counter and your speedometer and all the car information and makes it seamless and looks very Apple-y. You either like that or you won't. And all the other screens, some of the new EVs, electric vehicles, and some of the new cars have a lot of screens stretching from one side of the car to the other side of the car. So all your interaction between the air conditioning, the seating, everything else to do with what you want to do with your car can now be managed through Apple's CarPlay. So in fact, Apple CarPlay is becoming Apple Car. And uh, I have, I'm sure they're going to drop the play at some point. But the same way as you've got an operating system for your mobile device, you now got an Apple operating system for your car. And the Apple aficionados will be saying, what a wonderful thing. Now my car, my home, my tablet, my computer, and my Apple TV all look and feel the same. Well, that's exactly the whole point. They do look and feel the same. They'll operate in the same way. And they're very customizable. So from your watch all the way through to your car, you can now have an Apple operating system. And that for me, is quite a big deal. And they say that by early next year, 2023, a whole lot of car manufacturers are going to make this available as an option. So if you have an iPhone, you plug it in, you can, or hopefully you don't have to plug it in. A couple are now allowing wireless or seamless connection, and that will allow you to simply walk into your car and control absolutely every aspect of your car from your phone, your watch, and from your car itself. So Watch this space. I think that's a huge step and it'll be quite a big deal depending on which manufacturers get involved. And um, it'll be interesting to see how they handle a, a place like South Africa where Apple is big, but it's not the most dominant operating system. And people are certainly not going to buy a car simply because they can use Apple CarPlay uh, across all the screens in the car. That being said, moving on to the next OS that got announced, and that's Watch OS 9. Now, the Apple Watch... There are competitors again out there, but the Apple Watch has certainly become one of the major players in smartwatches. And they've slowly but surely ramped up functionality and, and operational ability and increased the screen and, and done a lot of work. They Every year there's an announcement that new hardware is coming that's going to completely break with the past. But Apple have very cleverly kept from the version 1 all the way to the version 8 where we are now, or the 7, sorry, not the 8, the 7 where we are now. Um, they've, they've really kept the look, the feel, and the basic functionality very, very similar. So, And the software has been pretty much updatable across all these devices all the way there. Obviously, the ones and the twos and some of the threes may not be 
ideal or fast enough to handle some of the new stuff. But the sensors have been updated. The only thing that for me has not been updated to the same extent is the battery life. It's still one and a half to two days if you're careful. You still need to charge overnight or at least charge fast charging depending on your charger. USB-C as well is a is, is a facility, but it is not quite in the same league as five-day charge that you get from competitors or other sports watches that tend to track sleep and things a little bit better. But we won't get there. But what they've done in the software is there's a new workout view on the screen, which makes things a lot better, alerting you if your heart rate goes below a desired threshold. It'll also measure arm and leg movements to a much better way so it can deliver accurate stride data. And for runners, that is really important in terms of how they run and what they can do with that. They've also updated a lot of health options. There's new sleep stages tracking, whether you sleep with your watch, again, because of the charging thing. You've got to remember to then charge it in the morning rather than you get up, you run out, and your watch goes flat. A little bit of a challenge, but they've upgraded the app of that a lot so you can do that. And what they've added is a brilliant new app to track and watch and tell you when to take medication. And that works seamlessly on the phone without the watch, but it works brilliantly with the watch. It gives you a little haptic, I would imagine, I haven't seen it. it, gives you a haptic feedback saying time to take your meds and even gives you a picture of the photo of the, of the label that you need to take. So it really, really does look like the next operating system, Watch OS 9, will bring a lot of new functionality. It'll start taking advantage of all the sensors, the blood oxygen sensor and all the other sensors that are built into the, to the watch already. And it brings the watch a lot closer to standalone. In other words, a lot of the, the functionality will operate on the watch, whether you've got a, a watch with a SIM card or whether the watch is tethered to the phone, it will still work. I mean, I've often used my watch, gone to gym, left the phone at home. And as long as it connects to a Wi-Fi network somewhere, the watch still gets messages, still updates. And that, I think they're using in OS 9 to take things slightly to the next level so that the watch itself is pretty autonomous. With a SIM, it is pretty much autonomous from the phone, but there's a lot of functionality, a lot of apps that would run best on the phone and not on the watch. That depends on the next hardware upgrade. But right now, the Apple Watch, in combination with the Apple device, certainly makes a fairly unbeatable pair with regard to smartwatches. And the new watch OS 9, it's not bringing revolutionary new functionality, but I think it's going to make things a lot smoother and a lot simpler and a lot better to use. The next big announcement, obviously, was Mac OS Ventura. I'm going to keep the, the best announcement that's iPad OS to last. But Mac OS Ventura has been, or Mac OS in itself, has been looking more and more like a phone operating system, or rather the commonality between iPad, iOS, phone, and Mac has been getting greater and greater and greater. And if you've got an M1 Mac, you can run apps that are designed for the iPad and for the phone pretty much natively on your Mac, which is not a bad thing. But across all the various apps and everything, they've brought a lot more commonality to the devices. And the latest Mac OS Ventura has brought something, and they made a whole story about how they got to Ventura. But Ventura is a a place in, in California, and that's the new name. But they showed off something that I believe heavily focuses on productivity. We all tend to use multi-screens. We all tend to have many, many apps open. We all tend to have many browsers open, and we tend to need a lot of different apps to conclude any task. So you, you're fixing 
something in Adobe, you're working in Word, you're importing some of that stuff to another program. Whatever the case may be, most of us have far too many tabs, far too many programs running in the background on our phones. And I'm uh, sorry, on our, on our computers, on our phones as well. But on our computers, when you're trying to be productive, you need organization and you need space. So if you've got multiple screens, you land up with stuff everywhere. And this, we've pretty much got used to it. There are multiple, um, you can create multiple desktops and store stuff there. I've never got into that fully, but it is very useful when you get into really big projects. They've come up with a new feature, which they call Stage Manager. Now, what Stage Manager does, caveat, it will only run on M1 Max, which I'm not sure I understand why, but I found that out a little later. So if you've got an M1 Mac, the Air, the Pro, or any one of the new M1-based uh, Macs, this will run seamlessly. All it really does is that when you swipe up, it'll move everything off to the left and you can group all your various apps into little groups. So let's say you've got a project and you're using five different apps. You put them all together, you move them off to the left um, using Stage Manager, and then you can drag the one that you want to the forefront, work on it and put it back, bring it out, put it back. Or you can even tile one or two of them together to make to make it work. The demo was pretty amazing. It looked super slick and easy. Um, it allows for really quick switching between groups and between apps within the group. And it looks like a really cool um, solution to a problem that we've all got. And that's just the clutter and you forget what you're working on and you forget which tab you were last at. It certainly does uh, look like a really cool solution. It's coming to the iPad as well which is really, really interesting. Again, limited to the M1 iPad. So I think it's a power thing, but not only power as an energy, power as in processing power. So it is really easy to slickly move between all your various tabs and browsers. And I think it actually is a better solution than the desktops because you've got to swipe through to multiple desktops. and It just starts getting a little bit little bit messy. They announced a lot of other updates to the various underlying functionality like Apple's Metal, which is their gaming rendering engine. They also moved to get a lot closer interaction between Macs and iPads, something they call continuity. So what you can do is that if you're the, the Mac and the iPad can detect when you're on a FaceTime call on your iPhone, and as you move towards your Mac or your iPad, it'll offer to switch directly to one of the larger devices so you get better quality cameras, get better quality processing, and you can simply put your phone down and carry on talking. It's pretty slick. I haven't tried it, but I'm going to, and I think that's actually a brilliant thing. The other thing that they've done is that you can now use your iPhone as your webcam. Now, a lot of the, the older or even some of the slightly sm smaller cameras in a, in a computer are not great quality. But imagine using your iPhone 13 rear cameras with, with all the quality that's built into that. You simply, there's a whole lot of accessories coming which will allow you to mount your iPhone on the top of your laptop. That's a whole nother game, but there it is. And you can use your iPhone, you rest it on the top of your screen with a lens pointing at you. And then the Mac OS automatically recognizes the phone and switches the camera function from the, 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 the computer to the handset. No cables, no plugging in, no nothing. I don't know how they do it, but I'll figure it out shortly. But it is really, really seamless. The demo again was super, super slick, and it was really easy to do that. 
Unfortunately, it seems that we're almost out of time. I'll just talk a little bit more about what's in the latest version of Mac OS, and then we'll move the the iPad OS discussion to the hardware straight after straight after the break. But there seems to be a the the other main point of using the new um, stage manager is that the whole manner of multitasking, both across iPad and the computer has changed completely and we're going to see a lot, lot more commonality between an iPad and, and a Mac OS. And ultimately, I do believe there's going to be one OS for all the devices, which makes a whole lot of sense. But a lot of work done on the built-in apps in Mac OS as well. So you're going to see a lot of improvement across their calendar apps, um, their photo editing apps. As usual, Ma Mail and Safari are getting massive efficiency upgrades too many browser tabs open. You can share those tab groups with other people and they can add their own. You can collaborate and interact. So a lot of work is being done across that space and I expect to see more and more commonality across all the various things. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Now moving on to what I think is the most important um, software change that's coming to the Apple ecosystem for the next little while, and that is iPad OS 16. The iPad has always been an incredibly functional device, but it was a tablet. And tablets have pros and cons, long battery life, easy portability, very easy to use. But as a replacement for computers, they've always fallen a little bit short in terms of sheer power and ability to do sort of things like multitasking and exactly what uh, we were talking about later when you've got projects with multiple tabs in your browser, you've got Word open, you've got Adobe open, you've got Photoshop open, you're doing a whole lot of different stuff and you're trying to put it all together. Very difficult to do with iPads or any tablet for that matter. You tended to be able to do a single function pretty well. The ability to use a pencil or a stylus certainly helped. But in the latest version of iPad OS, Apple have essentially acknowledged that the iPad is a mini MacBook of some sort or another. They've brought um, a whole bunch of new features to make the tablet feel much more like a laptop in many, many, many um, ways. So they've got a new screen scaling feature, which allows the iPad users to adjust the pixel density of a window in split screen, in split screen mode. What that simply means, you can squeeze much more information into the small part of the screen that each app occupies. And that will make things a lot easier to see what's going on. Also, and most most importantly, Apple is putting Stage Manager on the iPad. So the exact same functionality that you're going to get on the new Mac OS, which will allow you to group and, and keep a whole lot of different uh, projects and tabs open, is now coming to the, the iPad. And, and part of that is that it will now allow you to organize and group windows together for better workflow. So you've got a workflow. With iPad, you could always have two things open. You could scale it left or right, but now you can layer, which makes a huge difference. Just like a computer, you can have multiple windows open, one on top of the other, and very quickly use either a mouse or your finger, or whatever, your pencil, to click between them, just like a computer. So from a functional point of view, it'll be pretty much easier. The, the taskbar remains or pops up every time you go into that mode, which allows you to open more programs, have a look at mail, do other stuff. So it's going to be a lot, lot, lot 
more like a computer. There are new collaboration features that are coming in iPadOS 16, which will allow multiple users to work together to live while they talk in video chats as they edit documents. Um, there's a new pro, pro new product in there called Freeform, which is a collaborative whiteboard app, which will be available across iPad, Mac, and iPhone. And the, there are also new collaborative gaming features, such as SharePlace that allows people to play games together while sharing a video. So there are so many new ways that they've designed that the iPad becomes not in essence a, a replacement for a really heavy-duty use of a computer. But right now, my iPad can do 80% of what I need to do on a day-to-day -day basis. With having a look at what they're proposing to do in the new iPad OS 16, I'm probably going to get to 85, 90, maybe even close to 95% of what I need to do. And then I've got a long-lasting, super light, even with the keyboard cover device, um, which is a lot more portable for the day-to-day -day work that I need to do on an iPad. Leave the MacBook at home, it's bigger, it's more powerful, no question, great battery life, certainly can do 100% of everything that I need to do, but taking around an iPad certainly makes a big difference. The challenge, as I said, all the older iPads, which are still perfectly functional, will get iOS 6 or iPad OS 16, but what they won't get is they won't get some of these new features, features like the screen scaling as well as the... Um, the sort of new stage manager feature that'll only come to the iPads with, with an M1 chip, which is the newer ones, the, either the 10.4 or the 12. So a little bit of a sting in the tail of that and, and, and unfortunately a little bit of a problem. But moving on to the gizmos, the base of the new gizmos is the new M2 chip. Apple announced the new M2 chip, which is the M2 processor or chip, which is their proprietary hardware that they've been packing into most of their new machines. All their new machines today come with the M2, with the M chip. A couple still come with the M1 or the M1 Pro, but the second generation chip has definitely pushed the boundary quite considerably. It's faster, it uses more power, less power. It is definitely a much more capable device than the M1. It's 18% faster on the CPU and up to 25 or 30% faster on the GPU. The GPU is the graphics performance. The CPU is just the central processor. And it will be available to start as they did before on the new MacBook Air and the new 13-inch MacBook Pro, which is an interesting one. There is a 14-inch MacBook Pro, which runs with the M1. They're taking an older design, which is the 13-inch the MacBook Pro with the touch bar, the old, the old look with fewer ports and whatnot, and they're putting the faster processor into that one. Pricing apparently will be slightly cheaper than the 14-inch, but it creates a little bit of a conundrum. Do I get the latest processor in a MacBook Pro with an older design, not as nice a screen, um, maybe not as good a slick and new look, but it actually is more powerful than the slightly more expensive 14-inch MacBook Pro M1? So don't know quite where they were going with that, but that's where it's coming. But I think the big pick is the new MacBook Air. It is a completely redesigned device. It does look a little bit like a super slimmed down MacBook Pro. It's got a slightly bigger screen. It's no longer wedge shaped, but has a much high quality screen with a thinner bezel. There's a full size uh, keyboard, which is great. And it is super, super thin. It's 20% thinner than the previous model at its thickest. And it's got another big advantage, like the MacBook Pro, it comes with MagSafe. 
it still charges with USB-C, which I use, and I've never taken my MagSafe cable out from my MacBook Pro, so it seems like a little bit of a redundant feature, but for the most part, using MagSafe means that if you do accidentally kick the cable, it just pops off, it no longer pulls your laptop off the desk. So that in itself is a great idea, especially you've got kids and dogs and whatnot running around the house. But the new design looks very slick, very solid. It comes in some interesting colors and features the new M2 chip. The other advantage of the MacBook Air is that it's got good battery life up to about 18 hours, hasn't changed, but it has no fan. So it's super silent, just like a tablet. It never gets very hot. And with the M2 chip, I think there's probably an up to 24 gigs of memory now. So they've, they've increased that a lot. And what the MagSafe does, it frees up the two Thunderbolt USB 4 ports for accessories and other things. Right now, if you were charging, you could only have one port free, which was a little bit of a bummer if you had a whole lot of stuff. You need a USB hub. Who knows with all these adapters that you have to carry around. But now if you're charging through MagSafe, you've got two USB 4 ports. No change in battery life, pretty much the same. But it comes in four different colors, and the price is pretty good. The weight has dropped by not a huge amount, a couple of hundred grams, but it is a significantly good-looking device, and I expect it to be on sale in South Africa towards the middle of July, and the pricing in South Africa, the MacBook Air, has always been super, super competitive. In fact, cheaper than Europe, which is quite an interesting thing, and m almost on a par with the price in the US, which is a big deal. So before we go, um, before I go on some more, let's have a quick break for our sponsors, and I'll be back with a a really cool app that I've been playing with the last little while. And uh, we'll talk about that straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Now, just to wrap up before I've got to wrap up the whole show, before I get to the, the app of the week or the app that I've been playing with that I think is worth having a quick look at. <laughs> Fortunately, it does have an Apple link because the app, the Evo app from Nedbank, um, does allow you now to buy Apple product through the app at some pretty sharp prices. So <laughs> it seems Apple were dominating this week in many, many ways. But to wrap up the entire WWDC keynote, there were a ton of sessions that happened to allow all their developers to take advantage of these new operating systems, to adapt their apps, to think of new ways to work. So uh, the announcement is cool. And the reason why none of this stuff comes out for the next two, three months is that all the developers around the world have to run around and make everything work the way that it should. The hardware will be available early July in most of the main markets, and I believe a week or two later in South Africa. The pricing entirely dependent on the RAND and where it is, but expect it to be very competitive against what we currently have in the market. And the new old MacBook Air continues, but the new one, the M2 one, I think will be probably the pick of the, the computer, certainly one of the biggest selling computers in the world right now. It's very hard to beat for performance, weight, battery life, and just sheer ability to power through pretty much anything you can throw at it. So Apple seemed to be on another winner there with uh, many, many, many advancements in, the, in the, that space. And it'll just be down to do you need the Pro Power or do you need the uh, MacBook Air, which has got pretty much 90% of the power using the same chip, um, depending on what you want to do with your Mac. But in essence, a great opening gambit to the show, to the conference and to the developer conference, and a lot of new, some not new, borrowed, some blue, you name it, 
But I think Apple are on a much a bit of a tear with regard to hardware, software. And um, they certainly don't seem to be taking their foot off the pedal at any point. There's more and more stuff coming. The stuff is getting more and more integrated. And we certainly are seeing more and more product that works with many other products as they open the ecosystem. They did make a huge thing about privacy, which globally is a real challenge. And traditionally, uh, Apple have been very good in that regard. They tend to keep your services and your information a lot safer than many of the others. Now, the app of the week, which I think is cool, you can have a look at it. Just look for Evo from Nedbank. It is essentially a super app. It's an e-commerce super app. So it's got everything in the cat. If you're, an, if you're a, a Nedbank user, you can absolutely log on using your, your um, Nedbank online profile and it'll instantly give you a whole lot of deals. But they have just recently signed a deal with Apple and they've got a whole lot of good prices across the iPhone 13 range and all the other products. But there are a lot of specials. There are a lot of um, benefits and a lot of different things that you can do through the Avo app. So give it a look. I've been playing with it quite a bit. I've found a few things that I really like. I've saved a bit of money here and there. But there are a lot of deals and they do a lot of, um, you can get iPhones and AirPods and you can pay it off over 24 months. So there's a lot of stuff on the Avo app. Check it out and uh, see if that maybe does work for you. So that'll be that. And unfortunately, I've been told it's time to wrap up. Our time is over. Thanks for listening and stay tuned. Next week, I'm in Las Vegas for a conference. I will do my best to do a show at one in the morning, but I don't think that will happen. But I will be back the week after with all the news from the conference. It's a massive uh, tech conference around the data space and Cisco, which is the computer space. And on that note, this is Stephen Ambrose for Tech Talk. We'll be back soon with all the gizmos and gadgets.